filler in business books and audiobooks takes up time that you don't have. You're here because you want the golden nuggets from each book without all the BS. The more you learn, the more power you have to affect the world around you. This is the Cut the Crap Podcast. Never read a book again. And here's your host, Ryan Calajuri. What's going on, you guys? Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Cut the Crap Podcast, where week after week I'm condensing business books down. Oh, I did it. I did it. It's not business books. We're doing just books. Just books. I'm condensing books down. We did business books before, but now I'm opening it up. So this is where I condense books down to their core golden nuggets, and I save you time from having to read it yourself. So today we're doing a sales book, but to actually, you know what? Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Before I break into this one... Um, I just want to say thank you to everybody who sent me all these emails uh, over the past uh, week uh, while I was sick, uh, not last week, but the week before last, I received a ton of emails from uh, from a lot of you listeners, and uh, uh, again, thank you so much, you guys. It just means a lot to me that you guys actually give a damn, that you care. Um, you know, it's just cool. I really like that. So I just wanted to take a second just to um, say thank you to every single one of you guys who reached out and uh, you were concerned about me, but uh, don't worry about it. Uh, Ryan's, uh, Ryan's back and in, in form, so uh, it's all good. We're back at it now. So uh, thank you so much, though. I do appreciate that. Um, if you guys could actually do me a really big favor, I, I would appreciate this as well too. Um, if you guys have been long-term listeners of the show, I'd really appreciate if you guys went on to iTunes and uh, you guys just gave uh, gave the show um, a quick rating, a quick review. Uh, it would mean a lot to me. Um, and uh, you know, it's always good to get some feedback, and it's always good to see those rankings go up in uh, in, uh, in iTunes. So if you guys wouldn't mind, um, you know, go to uh, your iTunes app or your podcast app, search "Cut the Crap Podcast." And then click on Cut the Crap Podcast, and under the middle section there, you see Rate and Review. Um, if you guys wouldn't mind giving me a, ra- a ranking and uh, reviewing the show, I would greatly appreciate that too. So thank you so much for all of you guys who have done that, and thank you in advance to all of you who will do that. Uh, very much appreciate that. So now let's crack right into this one. What are we doing today? We're doing a sales book, The Challenger Sale, Taking Control of the Customer Conversation by Matthew Dixon and Brent Adamson. So I read this book a little while ago, not that long ago, actually. It was introduced to me by um, the CEO of a software company, uh, ID Fusion. His name's Christian Dandino, and uh, he introduced this book to me. And uh, he was a big fan of it because to him, it revolutionized the whole approach to selling. You know, the way that a lot of people sell right now is a one-size-fits-all approach to, you know, how you sell products, how you sell services. And essentially, the book talks about how top sales reps, they excel by providing a customized solution to a unique problem that the customer's having. And in order to do this, all these sales reps, they follow the challenger selling model. So essentially, in this book, you're going to learn what this model is, the challenger selling model, and how it can revolutionize your sales organization. So I gave it a read, and uh, I, I agree. I think that this approach um, to the challenger sale is something that's quite unique. And I definitely see a lot of value in using this approach, this strategy, to help close more deals and to definitely be a lot more efficient, a lot more impactful with, uh, with prospects of yours. So I'm excited to break into this one, and I hope that you guys enjoy this episode. And of course, most importantly, I hope that you guys are able to take something from this and put it into practice for yourself as well. So without further ado, let's crack right into this one, you guys. The Challenger Cell, Taking Control of the Customer Conversation by Matthew Dixon and Brent Adamson. Golden nugget number one, understanding the challenger profile. So the challenger sale, it's based on one of the largest sales studies ever conducted. 
One of the key findings from this study was that 53% of customer loyalty is driven by the sales experience. Not the brand, not the price, not the service, not even the product itself, not the offering. It's driven by the sales experience, which goes to tell you that the sales professional has a huge impact over the sales experience. Pretty important point here to take away. So according to the research, every B2B sales rep, that's business to business sales rep, they fall into five different profiles that define the skills and behaviors that they use when interacting with customers. So these profiles, they, um, I guess they, they describe a rep's natural um, mode of interacting with a prospect. So the first one that we have is the hard worker. So the hard worker, they're defined by their um, their ability to stick through things, um, uh, stick through things that are difficult. They don't give up easily. They're very self motivated. They're very interested in receiving feedback, and uh, they like personal development. So that's the hard worker. That's the first profile. The second profile, the lone wolf. Now this individual, they follow their own instincts. They believe in themselves. They're very self assured, and um, while they do deliver results. These individuals, they're very difficult to manage. So that's your second profile, the lone wolf. The third profile, the relationship builder. Now the relationship builder, this is the classic consultative selling approach. This individual, you know, they they like to build friends internally. They like to build people who support them within the organization. They don't just sell to one person, they like to sell to many. They create a lot of relationships with a lot of prospects. And, um, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about this afterwards, uh, but that's the relationship builder. The fourth profile, you have the problem solver. The problem solver listens to the customer's responses in terms of the questions they ask. They find the problems. They're like snipers when it comes to problems. They're very easily, um, they're, they're, uh, they're very capable at finding what the problems the customer is having. And they ensure that every problem that the customer has, that they're able to solve them, of course, within reason. That's the problem solver. That's the fourth uh, profile. Now, the fifth profile is the challenger. Now, the challenger profile, they just have a different worldview, a very different worldview. They love to debate. They love to push their customers, their prospects. They have a very strong understanding of their customers and their prospects' business, which gives them the ability to provide insights and also gives them uh, maybe, maybe the right to challenge their customers about their business. So the challenger profile. This profile is the one that we're talking about today, folks. Now, in the study that this whole book is based on, what the authors call the challenger approach to sales is the one that's most correlated with actual sales performance among high performers. So what that means essentially is those that have performed the best, they are challenger salespeople. So in the study, they found a few statistics that I really want to point out here that I think are uh, fairly insightful and they make the case for the challenger sale. Essentially, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to tell you that the challenger sale is an effective approach. And through the study, they found that. And so I'm going to share some of these stats with you. So the first one is that 40% of high sales performers, they primarily use the challenger style as opposed to one of the other four sales styles that the book identified. High performers, they were more than two times likely to use a challenger approach than any other approach. More than 50% of these star performers, they fit the challenger profile when it comes to sales. And interestingly enough, only 7% of top performers took a relationship building approach, which in fact is the worst performing profile. And I think that a lot of people take the relationship-based approach. They like to build friends internally. They like to um, find a lot of advocates. They like to make friends with their prospects, with their customers. 
When in fact, this is the worst performing profile. It's interesting to note because I myself, in all transparency, I am a relationship seller. I'm great at building rapport, great at building relationships with my customers. I do believe that I do take um, somewhat of a challenger approach, maybe not so formalized because I didn't really know what the challenger approach was until I read it, but um, I do have a good understanding of my customers' businesses, and I think maybe that's where uh, I was able to succeed, and, and because I have a little bit more of a bold personality, I'm not worried about offending my customer when it's in their best interest, and in their company's best interest to hear the truth. Um, and so I do challenge in that aspect. I challenge through asking questions. And uh, so I do approach it that way. So maybe there's a, a balance between both the relationship um, approach um, and the challenger approach. But that's just my opinion. So back to the book, though. A challenger rep, they have six significant traits that distinguish them from the other five sales profiles. So a challenger rep, number one, they offer a unique perspective to the customer. So they're not just going in, they're not just pitching a product, pitching a service, pitching an offering. They offer a unique perspective and they bring that perspective to the customer in terms of how to solve their problem, how to achieve a growth objective they're focusing on. Number two, a challenger rep has strong two-way communication skills. I think this is important overall in sales to have these strong two-way communication skills. You have to be able to listen, you have to be able to respond, you have to be able to challenge. You have to be able to communicate effectively with your prospect in order to sell them. I think that's that goes without saying. Number three, a challenger rep knows the individual customer's value drivers. Now, this is a key point here. You have to understand what your customer's value drivers are. So what do they value? Or do they value revenue? Do they value customer loyalty? What are their objectives? What are their critical success factors? What are they focusing on? These things are incredibly important. And as a sales rep, they must be absolutely certain that they understand their customers' value drivers. What is it exactly that your customers are driving for? And how can you help them achieve that? Okay, number four, a challenger rep can identify economic drivers of a customer's business. And again, this is very similar to the point that I just mentioned there. Number five, a challenger rep is comfortable discussing money. A challenger sales rep doesn't get squirmy. They don't get shy when it comes to talking about money. When it comes to talking about budget, they just call it out. And finally, a challenger rep, they can pressure the customer. And this is probably one of the most important pieces here that I think a lot of people maybe don't do. They don't challenge the customer. They don't pressure the customer to do something that is in the best interest of their business. Not to challenge them to do something that isn't in their best interest or challenge them to do something that they shouldn't be doing. You know, buy my product. It's because I want you to. So buy, buy, buy. Call, call, call. Email, email, email. Buy, buy, buy. That's, that's bull. That's not what this is at all. It's about challenging them to a perspective that they may not have thought about and by bringing solutions to them that they might, have thought, that they might not have thought about. Challenging them to grow. Challenging them to take on a different perspective. I don't want people to listen to this and just think that, oh, I, all I got to do is be pushy and I'm going to be a challenger sale. That's not, not what it is, you guys. And we'll break into this a little bit more so you better understand it. But the traits that I just listed out, um, you know, they're not held exclusively by challenger reps, obviously. They're just more commonly used together by a challenger rep. You know, for example, a challenge, uh, for example, a rep with a relationship builder style, they'll often have very strong two-way communication skills. But the one thing that they will lack is the other challenger traits like their ability to pressure a customer, right? A relationship salesperson might not feel very comfortable talking about money. They might not feel very comfortable pressuring the customer because they want to be liked. They want to be their customer's best friends, right? That might not work so well in the challenger approach. So lastly, when we're trying to understand the challenger profile, according to the book, a challenger rep is defined by the ability to do three key things very well. 
Number one is teach. They have to be able to teach customers something new and valuable about how to compete in their marketplace. Number two, they have the ability to tailor, to tailor their sales pitch to resonate with the decision maker's hot button issues. Again, you have to be flexible. You have to be able to listen. You have to be able to respond. And you have to be very focused in tailoring your sales pitch to the customer's needs. And finally, number three, a challenger sales rep is very good at taking control of the discussions around pricing and about challenging customers thinking about a certain problem they're having. You know, so if they're having a problem with loyalty, with revenue, with, um, with their bottom line, with, you know, with cost savings, whatever it is, a challenger sales rep is able to take control of that process and challenge the customer, challenge the customer to a different perspective. So that now in its entirety, that's the challenger profile. That's what a challenger sales rep looks like. That's the kind of the characteristics they bring to the table in comparison to the other four very well-known sales profiles. Golden nugget number two. In order to differentiate yourself in the sales process, you have to be a good teacher. So why is being a good teacher? Why is teaching so important to the sales process? Well, it's important because in many companies, they don't actually realize that the average customer, the prospect, the client you're selling to, they can't differentiate between the various products and services and brands that are out there. So when it comes to actually making a purchasing decision, sales is often the deciding factor, as I've mentioned above already. So let me give you an example right now. Let's say you're selling to a baker, all right? And this baker, of course, they're going to be very impressed if you come to them with knowledge of their ovens, you know, what kind of ovens they're using, what temperatures they have to set it to, um, the kinds of products they create, how often they have to make them, um, you know, the average um, uh, time that a loaf of bread or, or a pastry lasts for. Yeah, they'll be very impressed by that. They'll like that. But what they're really going to like is if you're able to actually help them. And for example, if you can go to a baker and you can actually explain to them why some breads and some pastries can't survive, you know, a five to 10 mile transport without falling apart. And not only that, but how your product, how your service can help solve this problem. So this right here is very interesting because now to go back to the book, the authors, they believe that solution selling, it just doesn't work as well as it used to anymore. Solution selling was, was the big hype. Everyone loved to sell solutions. But customers now, they're, they're, they're growing more impatient. And they're much more or less likely now to spend time helping sales reps discover their needs. And so the authors of the Challenger Sale, they found research. In, throughout their research, they found that there's seven high-impact areas that make for a positive customer experience. And to create a positive customer experience, again, very similar to the story I just told you with the baker, you have to do these seven things. Number one, you have to offer unique and valuable perspectives on the marketplace. Number two, you have to help the customer navigate alternatives. Number three, you have to provide ongoing advice, ongoing consultations. Number four, you have to help the customer avoid potential landmines that they might not know exist yet. Number five, you have to be able to educate the customer on new issues and new outcomes. Number six, you have to make it easy for the customer to buy from you. And number seven, you have to be very supportive and understanding of not only that perspective, but other perspectives throughout the organization. So this teaching, this teaching that I was giving you with the baker and all these different perspectives that you have to bring that I'm talking about, this is what the authors call commercial teaching. What commercial teaching is, it's where a sales rep teaches the prospect how to think about their needs. 
So commercial teaching by itself, it has to lead the prospect to your unique strength. So why should people, why should prospects buy from you over anyone else? Right? Commercial teaching has to challenge customer assumptions. So for example, how can you reframe the problem for your customers? Commercial teaching, it has to catalyze action. Now what that means is that customers need to understand why they should take action, why it's important, how it's gonna impact them, and why they should do it now. You have to ensure that um, you're inferring urgency on the, um, on the action. And finally, with commercial teaching, you have to scale across customers. So. What I mean by scaling across customers is that your sales team, they have to have a core group of market or industry insights at their beck and call that scale across different kinds of customers, right? So you have to be able to repeat this, duplicate this in order to drive success for your organization. Now, as we talk about commercial teaching, commercial teaching by itself is something that's very new to a lot of sales reps. They don't quite understand that. And it makes sense because it's a brand new skill set. It's a skill set that, you know, most people haven't heard of before. And so when you're talking about commercial teaching, the authors lay it out in what they call the challenger framework. Uh, So to make this easier, what they did was they broke down the framework into six components that make up what's called a world-class teaching pitch. Okay, so I'm going to lead you through this world-class teaching pitch step by step. Okay, so the first step is called the warmer. In the warmer step, what you do is you build credibility and you show your prospect that you understand their challenges. Now, this serves as an introduction for the pitch. The next step, the reframe. Now, the reframe is where you connect those challenges to a bigger problem or opportunity that they hadn't previously considered yet. In the reframe stage, your job is to build credibility and show your prospect that you understand their challenges very deeply. Now, this serves as an introduction for the pitch. The next stage, rational drowning. Now, what you do here is you show prospects the numbers behind why they should think differently. Show me the numbers. This, is, this comes down to your ability to do some research. Do some uh, primary research by doing some searching online, by actually contacting some prospects, talking to different vendors, perhaps different partners, different industry experts, to gather data to truly understand the marketplace, to understand the industry, and then to bring some of this data forward to your prospects to um, help them understand the, um, the urgency of the problem that they're facing, or perhaps the opportunity that's ahead of them. The next stage, so again, we have the warmer stage, the reframe stage, rational drowning, which is all about bringing numbers and data. The next stage, emotional impact. Now, in this stage, what you need to do is you need to create an emotional connection between the pain in the story you're telling and the pain they feel every day in their organization. Okay, that's emotional impact. In the next stage, it's called a new way. Now, in this stage, it's time to convince them of the solution. This is where you show them a new way they should be thinking about their business. Provide them with a new perspective. Paint a picture. Tell them a story about what they might be able to achieve if they were to implement your solution. You might do a little bit of what's called future pacing. You know, my mentor Jay Abraham taught me this a long time ago. When it comes down to sales, tell a story. Paint a picture. Bring them into the future and show them what would happen if they don't use their solution, if they don't address this, if their um, competitors were to use this, if their customers were not getting this. Paint a vivid picture in terms of what this looks like. That's what you need to do in a new way. Now, in the final stage, this is what's called your solution. 
This is your time to shine, baby. This is where you demonstrate how your solution is the best one out there. Not just a solution, but it's the best solution out there. And as you're telling them about your solution, you need to be sure that you're telling them how it fits in with the new way. Your solution at this time, this is the best time to pitch it. This is the best time to really put pressure on the customer to truly understand that if they want that future, that if they want to recognize that new way, if they want to have that, your solution, your solution, baby, that's the one to go for. So now that I've given you the framework as far as what the world-class pitch looks like uh, from a step-by-step perspective, let me paint a picture now by giving you an example. So now let's just say you're putting this into practice. And you're a sales rep from an office furniture company. And you're meeting with somebody who just got a brand new building built and um, they haven't yet furnished it. Okay, so as a sales rep following this challenger sales approach, the first thing that you would do is you would go in and again, the warmer, you're going to build credibility through a hypothesis about the customer's business. So you might point out that, you know, many new offices, they just don't seem to be designed to encourage a lot of collaboration. Would you agree? I mean, I just don't think that, you know, a lot of office spaces have a lot of um, collaborative spaces in them. So next, what you'd want to do, again, the reframe stage, you'd want to reframe this problem or insight from a different perspective. So that different perspective would be, you know, you pointing out that the effective collaboration, the most effective collaboration happens in small groups of three to four people. And yet these meeting rooms that you have here and these workspaces, they're designed for 10, 12, 14 people. With 10 to 12 or 14 people, you're going to have a lot of wasted time. You're going to have a lot of useless conversation, a lot of interruptions, a lot of start start and stops, a lot of switching between tasks. This could be actually quite inefficient for you. You know, having small groups of three or four people, that's when you get the most effective collaboration. So now after you frame this, your next job is to explain exactly why this issue at hand is bigger than the customer may know. So at this point in time, you might want to share information with the prospect or the customer, share with them case studies that prove, you know, large uh, conference rooms or large uh, working areas actually kill innovation and go against what a lot of people believe to be status quo. You know, these big, these big, you know, open spaces where there's just no offices, it's everyone working in the same space. Oh, it's very collaborative. Well, no, in fact, it actually kills innovation. Look at these studies that I found here, you know, some peer reviewed studies. That's going to help you build your credibility. That's for sure. So now after you do that, after you provide them with some case studies, some different data points, um, you know, you start giving them numbers as to why they should start thinking differently. Now this is where you as a challenger, you're going to separate yourself from the rest of the pack. This is where you offer something new to improve the client's current situation. So perhaps you go to the client and you say, you know what, there's an option here. You don't have to have this big space here. You can actually divide one large working space here into two smaller spaces, And all of a sudden, now you have them intrigued. Okay, go on. So knowing full well that you have the solution in hand, you don't actually pitch it yet. You only offer your solution at the very end of the conversation. You know, by now, the prospect is convinced. Yes, thank you so much. You've you've built credibility. You've reframed this into a different perspective. Um, You know, you've provided me with the data. You've given me a potential solution. Give me more. I want this. Now they're convinced. Now they want to improve collaboration by splitting their working space into into different rooms. But now they just don't know how. They don't know how to do that. Well, but lucky for you, you're selling movable walls. Ah, perfect. There we go. So in other words, 
Effective selling, it's not just about pitching your solution, you guys. It's not about pitching your product, not about pitching your offering, your sell, your, your services. It's about teaching and changing the perspective of your potential customer. And how cool is that? I think that example, you know, when I run through it, it really crystallizes this whole challenger sale thing. You know, oftentimes we just boom right into it. We're right there. We're already talking about movable walls. You know, movable walls, they come in different sizes, different colors, different types and different features and different lengths and thickness and soundproof and blah, 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 blah. Thank you so much. But guess what? I don't even know I need this yet. What the hell are you doing talking about movable walls? Listen, we believe in open space here. We don't, we don't want movable walls. We move to this open space so we can have greater collaboration. Get the hell out of here with your damn movable walls. You will never sell movable walls to somebody like that then. Unless you take the challenger approach. See what I mean? How effective is this? So cool. So cool. Golden nugget number three. The importance of resonance and taking control. So resonance is all about being able to actually translate your value into whatever perspective of the individual is that you're selling to. So for example, you can't use the exact same pitch for uh, the CEO as you would for a CIO, for example, or a CMO, marketing officer, chief marketing officer, chief information officer, or you know, CHRO, chief human resource officer. Each of these individuals, they have their own, um, uh, their own agendas, you know, the, each of them have their own economic drivers, their own economic goals. What do they want to achieve? This is where in Challenger Sales, resonance is so important. You know, for example, let's go back to the uh, movable walls example. In that example, a CEO, they might care more about cost savings. You know, if you're able to break down the numbers and say, listen, on average, let's just say that, you know, you have people working eight hours every single day. Now, let's just say out of these eight hours, you know, they're talking maybe an hour and a half or two hours max because of all the interruptions. So you're actually only getting six hours of productivity out of your people, losing two hours. Now, let's cascade that over, you know, a full, you know, a full year. What does that look like in terms of lost productivity? Okay, so what happens if we put in these walls? Oh, wow, that's a big savings. Perfect. I like that. The CEO cares about that. The CHRO, for example, the chief human resources officer might not care about that. For them, their goals, what they want to achieve, they might be focused strictly on um, employee engagement or employee satisfaction. And if that's the case, then that pitch is not the right pitch for the CHRO. And you might be saying, well, you know, Ryan, I'm not selling to the, uh, to the CHRO. I'm selling to the CEO. That might be true. Not all decisions are made in a silo. Not all decisions are made by one individual. Sure, one individual might be at the helm of the organization, but as the CEO, the CEO goes around their executive table and asks for different opinions, different thoughts that somebody has. So if you have someone who doesn't share the same opinion, uh, such as the CHRO, they might disagree and they might be able to convince the CEO not to go with your solution. So this is where you need to be really good. And as a challenger, you need to come up with different pitches for each individual that's at the table. So for example, your CHRO, when you might want to bring teachings to them about the importance of collaboration and that collaboration happens in small groups of people and that using these movable walls to divide these big rooms is going to improve collaboration. It's going to improve innovation. It's going to make them feel like they're contributing more. And in turn, this is going to impact employee engagement and going to make them more satisfied on the job. So that's the importance of resonance. You can't just go in with one pitch. You have to be very flexible. You have to understand who the decision makers are. And after you understand who the decision makers are, you need to understand, you know, what are their economic drivers? What are they trying to achieve? What are their objectives? 
And how does your solution work to appease each of their objectives? So resonance, it's so important. The next piece here that I was going to talk about is control. So control is a funny thing. Um, it actually surprised me, but a lot of salespeople, they just don't feel comfortable taking control of the sales process. Most reps, like I said earlier, they don't like talking about money. They don't like pushing the client. You know, they feel like it's being pushy, um, you know, and they don't like to push the client to make a final decision. So in that case, I kind of scratch my head a little bit and I kind of wonder how do you close deals or how do a lot of sales reps close deals? The answer to that is that they don't close deals. They don't close the deals. And that's the challenge. You know, this whole idea of shyness, it's, it's very interesting because there was a study shared in the book by an organization called the Bay Group International. And Bay Group International found that, very interesting stat, I love this one, found that 75% of sales reps feel that procurement departments have more power in a bargaining situation, right? And maybe for the most part, a lot of you would agree with that. Interestingly enough, though, the same survey also found that procurement staffers thought that the sales reps were more influential. How interesting is that? That, to me, is a massive insight. Just knowing this, just knowing this, perhaps it gives you permission to take greater control of the sales process from the start. Don't wait until, you know, you sit down at this final stage of, uh, of the sales process to discuss money matters and what have you. You know, take control from the very beginning. Be bold. Know that you control this process. Know that you have a lot of influence and a lot of power. And you need to start flexing that muscle in order to actually get the success, get the result that you're looking for. Taking control is about everything. It's about everything. It's about taking control of the process, what the meetings are, having agendas in place. By the way, having agendas in place, definitely going to help you take control of the meeting. Okay. It's about understanding who the decision makers are, asking the right questions. By asking the right questions, it's going to allow you to take control. How do you control a meeting? By asking questions, very simply. What questions are you bringing to the table? Who's actually in the room? Take control of the process, you guys. That's what it's about. This whole point here, resonance, being able to have the right pitch for the right person, taking control, not letting your shyness win, taking control of the process from start to finish. You know, take control by asking questions. Take control by, by knowing who the decision makers are. Take control by having agendas in place. Take control by knowing what the next step is and moving towards that next step. All these things you need to do as a challenger salesperson. All right, last but not least, golden nugget number four. Turning your organization, your sales organization, into a challenger sales organization. Now, this is really difficult, guys. You can't just, you know, pick up this book or listen to this episode and all of a sudden, you know, have everybody in your organization becoming challenger sales reps. It doesn't work that way. You know, according to uh, the book, the authors found that for whatever reason, there's a number of different reasons, um, that 20 to 30% of sales reps won't successfully transition to the challenger model. And those reasons could be, you know, a number of them. Number one, they're not comfortable pressuring um, the, the prospect. You know, they're not comfortable taking control. They like to build friendships. They like to build relationships. But they're not comfortable pushing things forward. They're not comfortable taking control of the meeting. Um, they might not be good at doing research um, with regards to, you know, get, bringing data into the process. They might just not like process in general. So there's a number of different reasons why that's the case. So... If you're listening to this and you want to put the challenger model in place and you have a number of sales reps underneath you, that is going to be um, you know, an output of that. If you want to become a challenger sales you know, organization, you have to realize that you're going to lose some people in the process. And that might be okay with you. 
That might be okay because you might not be um, you might be making this decision for the betterment of the organization, for the future of the organization. You believe this is the best thing for the organization. Then it's probably a good thing for you and a good thing for the rep as well too. They'll go on and they'll continue doing their sales approach and uh, and they'll continue having fun doing it and you'll continue having fun trying out something new. So um, that's just something to keep in mind here. But um, this golden nugget essentially is for the sales managers, you know, or the CEOs who manage salespeople or who, uh, individuals who manage sales reps. Uh, in the book, they talk a lot about, you know, the, the important skills that a sales manager needs to have in order to implement the challenger sales approach. And one of the most important skills that a sales manager or an SVP of sales, whatever you want to call it, uh, must have is they must be innovative. And by innovative, I mean that they have to be very creative at figuring out different ways to help their reps move deals forward. You know, if you have a deal that's stalling out, how can we move this deal forward to the next stage in the pipeline? The second most important is coaching their reps. You know, you have to be able to be a good coach. You know, you can't just beat your people down. You can't just, you know, use that, um, use that stick mentality and just, you know, slap them over the wrists every time they're screwing up. Nah, you have to be empathetic. You have to be understanding. You have to be able to coach people through their problems and listen and understand and provide different solutions to help them get through their, their, their challenge. You have to be a good coach. So you have to be innovative at figuring out creative ways to help them move deals forward. And you have to be a good coach. If you have those two traits, those two skills, then you have a higher likelihood of being able to successfully implement the challenger sales model in your organization. So we'll get back to coaching in just a second. But when we're talking innovation, when we're talking about, you know, figuring out creative ways to help reps move deals forward, there's essentially three things that a sales manager has to do in order to be innovative. And the first one is investigate. The sales managers, they have to identify obstacles that are in the way of a new sale. They have to gather feedback in terms of what's working, what's not working, and then identify how to resolve that customer pain. Number two, they create. They innovate around new ways to position a product, position a service, an offer. They identify the ideal business outcome and they work with their reps. They work with their customers to define and explore you know, new sales solutions. And finally, these sales managers, these innovative sales managers, they share. These managers, they're, they're great at sharing tactics. They're great at sharing strategies, best practices. Um, with their sales reps, they develop and sustain, you know, uh, relationships throughout the organization, you know, not just the buyer, but the influencers as well, too. They filter news and information from, you know, um, uh, publications from Google alerts, whatever you have set up to bring information in, they bring that information in and they cascade that to their sales team, they share that with partners, they share that with their prospects with their customers, they're great at sharing. So when I talk about innovation, that's where the innovation comes in as far as the sales, uh, uh, sales manager is concerned. Now, as far as the coaching is concerned, that's a whole different ball. Now, as you're coaching your, your sales reps, the challenger sales team uses something called a pause framework in their sales manager coaching that helps sales managers effectively coach their reps. So what does pause stand for? Well, P-A-U-S-E is what I'm referring to. Uh, P. Preparation for the coaching conversation. This is where managers need to prepare for the coaching conversation. A, affirm the relationship. This is where sales managers confirm a safe situation for coaching to, to occur. U, they understand expected behavior. So the sales manager should understand what to look for in a meeting. S, specify behavior change. This is where managers should have an objective standards. They should have objective standards for judging behavior. 
And last but not least, E, they embed the new behavior. So managers should give reps the tools to implement coaching suggestions, tools like um, action plans, agendas, and what have you. Uh, Those things are useful here. So if you're thinking about implementing the challenger sales methodology in your organization, you're going to be on a very exciting road. You know, once you have the right managers in place, you know, once you're comfortable coaching, once you understand what it takes to be innovative in your role, then at that point in time, you can start to overhaul your company's sales strategy and really start winning more customers by using the challenger sales model. Very exciting stuff. Incredibly exciting stuff. All right, there we have it, my friends. There's the challenger sale, taking control of the customer conversation by Matthew Dixon and Brent Adamson. I love this book, you guys. Really solid book. And I know I say that about a lot of books, but I like this one because the takeaways from it are actionable. You know, the the example that I gave you with the movable walls example, I love that because it crystallizes the whole challenger sale approach in that one example. And how powerful is that? That example right there, you might want to go back and just listen to that a couple more times because that in itself, it's just so powerful. If you have competition that's just going in and just, you know, blasting their their offering, their product, their service in the customer's face and the customer is saying, what the hell are you talking about? We don't need this. Of course they're saying that because they haven't even presented data. They haven't reframed the, um, the problem. You know, they haven't even convinced them there was even a problem in the first place. If you're able to bring the challenger sales approach and your competition hasn't, you're going to win. So for me, that's very exciting. And you know, personally, you know, a little bit of insight for you guys. This is something that um, myself and um, you know many others are implementing. And I'm very excited about implementing this. And I uh, can't wait to learn a lot of lessons, try a lot of things, definitely fail along the way. But um, you know, it's all a part of the learning process. And it's all a part of growth and development. And for myself, I'm very excited to try this. Very, very excited. And so I'd encourage a lot of you to... You know, definitely consider the challenger sale in your organization as well, too, especially if you're in sales. It's obviously going to be very important for you. If you're an entrepreneur running your organization, I would highly suggest you give this a try as well, too. You guys, it has been an absolute pleasure, as always. As always, thank you so much, you guys, for tuning in. Always means a lot to me that you guys do. Do me a favor, you guys, like I said at the top of the podcast, if you guys wouldn't mind going on iTunes and rating and reviewing um, you know, this show, I would greatly appreciate you guys. Um, thank you in advance to everybody who goes and uh, does that. Uh, again, very much appreciate that. But other than that, I got nothing else to say, you guys. So on that note, I hope you guys, as usual, you guys have an awesome, awesome, productive week. And uh, as usual, catch you guys back here next week with a brand new Oh, I almost said business book again with a brand new book and brand new golden nuggets. You guys, take it easy. Have an awesome week. I love you guys. in six months it may not happen in a year it may not happen in two years but at some point my dream is going to become a reality every single day we're not waiting for it to happen we just don't have sight sight is for people who live in the present we have vision we're going to make it happen before it happens You got to write even if no one published your book, write because that was given to you to do.
Everything in you is telling you to stop, to give up. Every muscle is aching. And you're saying to yourself, you can do it. Where you are is temporary. You will not be there for the rest of your life. Other people couldn't see it. A lot of people didn't believe it. You were attacked. You were criticized. People were opposing you. But you kept on doing it. It was hard. It was rough. It was difficult. But to you, it was worth it. You have to know that this thing is going to work.